This week's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash DJForceX. There are over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. Uh, this episode 73. Uh, I have Eric Henry with me this week. He is the executive producer of a Star Trek fan film called Pacific 201 that is currently in production. Uh, they are looking for uh, backers to help them pay the rent of their where their set's at right now. You'll hear about that in the interview. Uh, but the link is in the show description, so if you can throw some spare change that way i'm gonna throw it out there now um please do that also uh this came from uh the interview i did with manu uh, a few uh episodes ago uh with his film the circuit which is now live on kickstarter as well uh so yeah they're looking for donations for that uh for their pilot episode uh, so yes, again, uh, check my uh, show notes and I will link that one as well. So if you've got a bit more money, throw it that way because uh, they're trying to raise, I think, $50,000 right now. They're quite close to the time of this recording. They're about $35,000 in. Um, so yeah, that would be uh, fantastic if you could donate to those. But anyway, uh, as I'm recording this, it's, it's Record Store Day, which is uh, one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, now, a lot of people don't like it. A lot of people like it. I love it. Uh, the whole event. Um, I love shopping in independent record stores. Always have. And uh, this gives me an opportunity over here in Florida uh, to visit one of the world's biggest record stores. Um, Banana Music is called. Uh, it's in St. Pete in Florida. And uh, they've got a good shop front where they have thousands and thousands of pieces of music, CDs, vinyl, all that kind of good stuff. And they also have a huge warehouse full of vinyl and other musical things as well. But um, yeah, I had the chance to go there today and uh, pick up some uh, great pieces of vinyl. Got the uh, Dillinger Escape Plan, uh, the Instrumentalist, uh, 7-inch, and the Paul Schaefer and Bill Murray um, Happy... Uh, what was it? Yeah, Happy Street. Sorry, it was on the tip of my tongue. Uh, those are the two releases. I got one from a few years ago, which was Soul Wax versus Pulp, and I picked up the new Incubus album as well, which uh, is always a treat. Um, but yes, support your local record store is the message on this one. Um, if you have one, go to it buy a piece of music because it always helps them um because record store day is not just one day a year it's every day for them so uh do that but anyway not to bore you much longer with <laughs> i'm going to take you to the interview so yes this is uh eric uh the executive producer of pacific 201 a star trek fan movie uh do check out some of their stuff on youtube um before we get into that but yes uh do that check them out on youtube and i hope you enjoy this interview I'd like to welcome to my show this week, I have Eric Henry. He is the executive producer of a uh, a Star Trek fan film called Pacific 201. Um, welcome, Eric. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries, man. So, um, yeah, obviously I mentioned that in the intro, the, the film you're currently working on. Um, it is a, uh, like I said, a Star Trek fan film. So, um, yeah, tell me, tell, first off, tell me a bit about yourself, like where you've come from to this point. Well, you know, I'm... I'm just a, a passionate Trek fan, and um, I happen to be um, 
from a, a lineage of photographers and filmmakers. Um, and I've always had access to the means to record and edit movies and stuff like that. I've been making them since I was six years old. And I just, you know, there's always in the back of my head that it'd be nice to make, you know, to make my mark on the Star Trek universe, even if it's just, you know, an unofficial one. Yeah. So, um, you know, once I had a, but, you know, I, I thought I'm not going to do it until I have a good idea. Um, I wasn't just going to do it because mm-hmm. <laughs> because I like to make excellent work. Yeah. So um, once I had a good idea, I just thought, hey, I should do this. Cool, cool. So um, with the Star Trek side of things, obviously there's there's been a bit in the news recently with uh, fan films and various court cases and stuff like that. Um, how do you how do you bounce around that subject? Because obviously the the property is owned by um, it's CBS, isn't it? Yeah. Um, generally, how how do you dance around that to obviously make a fan film of the quality you're making? Because I've seen some of the shots that you've done, you've put up online, and it's very high quality. It seems to, you know, like you say, you like to do quality work, and it, it's turning out to look that way. Um, so, how how does that work? How does that make the end? How does it does it make your life more difficult, or are there ways of of sort of dancing around that subject? Well, you know, before before. CBS released their, you know, official fan film guidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, there was this kind of, you know, game that you had to play where you couldn't, you know, be too flagrant, yeah. right? Um, but, you know, most most fan films didn't really seem to mind, um, you know, like Star Trek New Voyages and... Uh, Star Trek continues. We're doing basically verbatim replicas of the original series. Um, it didn't really become a problem until Axnar got legal scrutiny. And at that point, um, Pacific 201 kind of went into lockdown because I didn't even know if there was a future to the fan film community, right? Yeah. Um, I'm like, I'm not going to keep working on this movie if I can never release it. So there was only nominal work being done on it for a few months while the court case raged. But now that we have the guidelines, while there are restrictions to certain elements of the production, it is also freeing in the sense that I know that, you know, at least if CBS stays true to their word, if I follow these guidelines, there's nothing they can do. Right. So there is an element of freedom there where I'm not nearly as worried as I was once. Okay. cool, cool. Yeah, because that's how I I, when I. um was introduced to your your project um i i'd heard of through various like outlets that i listened to um regarding like fan films especially star trek ones because there seems to be quite a uh community doing that i didn't realize there was a resolution to it in as much as cbs put out guidelines for it so that's that's kind of cool so what 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 are the main things they tell you not to touch what's the is it just sort of the main character base or are there various concepts that you can't um you can't tackle um, the, the guidelines are pretty vague, actually. Um, basically, the the restrictions as far as creativity is concerned are mostly just um, talent. You can't use um, actual Star Trek actors okay. in any capacity. So that 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 removes any possibility of recast or like putting the original actors into the same role. Yeah, which yeah. is actually something I think. Uh, New Voyages did with uh, Chekhov for old Chekhov and um, Axnar was going to do it with 
several characters, I think, uh, at least at least Ambassador Saval from Star Trek Enterprise mm. with the same actor and everything. Um, that's completely forbidden now. Um, but all the other guidelines are mostly just presentation. Um, like you can't make it longer. You have to make it in two 15 minute segments. OK, you can you cannot have anything that's longer in total than 30 minutes. Um, you can't do sequels. And you can't do like episodes. You can't do prequels. So like you can't have a fan film series anymore. Okay. Um, and it has to be a certain length. But beyond that, there's not really any restrictions. Um, there are some like fundraising restrictions and stuff like that, which we're still well below. Mm-hmm. Um, which is actually kind of nice because I was afraid that you know. I couldn't do any future fundraising, but now with the guidelines, I could put up, I could put up fundraising again. Um, I just can't offer perks anymore. Okay. So there's, there, there are some pros and cons to the whole situation. Cool. Okay. So, um, let's, let's talk about your, your project Pacific 201. Um, yeah, give us some, uh, give us some information on it. Like where's it set? You know, how does it fit into the, the Star Trek universe? Yeah, well, it's um it's set in the year 2200. So it's um 66 years before the original series season 1 and it's like a little less than 50 years after um the events of Star Trek Enterprise. Okay. So roughly halfway uh, between those two series. And um it does however slightly softly reimagine some of the visual and maybe some, some of the canon, I guess it's not a perfect, you know, it's not a perfect representation of what maybe some fans would have expected. Um, I've kind of done some soft retcons to serve the story and stuff like that. So like you said, it's set, um, 2200. Um, and yeah, so the story of it, of the actual, um, the the film you're making uh what what's it following well it's the the maiden voyage of the starship pacific mm-hmm. which is um kind of this new breed of starship as presented in the universe where for the past you know 40 years or so starfleet hasn't really been doing this sort of exploration and stuff that we associate with star trek it's been a very strictly military organization so the pacific is like they're finally making like a deep space exploratory vessel again okay. and um it has a very specific mission where it's exploring uh, a very strange phenomenon and um gets caught up in some stuff okay uh, <laughs> it, there's romulans involved um there's natural or you know s- stellar phenomenon that kind of uh increase the drama and you know it's it's a lot of classic star trek uh conundrums you yeah. know yeah um, but it's i think the the specific themes are very relevant to our time and uh because there's a lot of balance between like uh you know isolationist views versus globalist views and uh you know the role of the military and stuff like this that's that's important you know to us yeah 
Okay, cool. So, um, I, like I said, I looked at um, some of your um, videos on your YouTube channel, um, and I must say the quality of the CGI work is is amazing. Like watching it, you, you wouldn't think fan film. You kind of think, you know, full budget like project. Um, if that makes sense, <laughs> it's it's, a, it's of a high quality. And looking at some of the the scenes or uh, screen captures you have of um, some of the actors. Um, doing their thing and, and the costumes and everything, it all seems very, very, um, no, it's the wrong way. It seems very professional because uh, I've seen fan films before and they're kind of um, very loosely, like not a lot of money went into the prop side of it. Whereas this one, the look of it, it looks fantastic. So how does how do you achieve that with, with such a small budget? Yeah, well, uh, a, a big part of that is when you think about budgets, um, movie budgets are are as high as they are in a large part due to the fact that everyone is getting paid right yeah so you have literally millions of dollars going into paychecks um with a fan film where i'm not allowed to pay anybody even if i you know even if i could yeah um all of the money goes directly into the production. I'm not, I'm not paying myself. I'm, nobody, there's, it's all 100% into the production. We're not okay. paying for gas. We're not paying for food. So like, um, I, we raised $26,000 on Kickstarter and then we raised another, well, actually the money we raised on Indiegogo just goes into rent. So okay. the money we raised on Kickstarter goes 100% into the production. We have, we, you know, it goes to costumes, it goes to sets and it goes to equipment as well. Yeah. And well over, you know, maybe 70% or maybe, maybe half the budget when all is said and done is the sets and costumes, which is, um, we, I really wanted the movie to look good. So I, I made sure to get good cameras and I made sure to get good costumes and sets. So, um, we actually like decided that we were going to use existing clothing items to create our costumes so that we didn't have to uh, worry about making stuff from scratch look good because no nobody on our team is a professional costumer yeah. or a professional tailor Though we do have some very good talent. So, you know, it's off the, off the shelf modified stuff that really helps uh, with the believability. And we also borrowed some costumes from, Tommy Kraft, who did Star Trek Horizon, he has some amazing replicas of the uh, NX style uniforms from Star Trek Enterprise. Yeah. So everything uh, we wanted, costuming is important, as you said. Like you can always tell, you know, actors with ill-fitting costumes and uh, stuff like that. And it's really hard to make like the original series costumes actually look good. Yep. Um, they look good in the original show because they had good tailors working on the show. Um, so, yeah, we, it was just a major focus of the production. You know, we're not paying for anything besides sets and costumes, basically. Okay. So, you know, the CG work, I'm doing that all for free. The, you know, all the talent behind the camera is all volunteers. So all of the capital goes directly into making the movie look better. And how long have you been producing this? Yeah, it depends on the it depends on the the metric you use to to judge the time. Okay. Um, I've been working on the concept of Pacific Two Hundred One since the end of twenty thirteen. Okay, so it's been well, you know, twenty thirteen doesn't really count. So twenty fourteen and twenty fifteen and twenty sixteen. So it's been like three years of 
since the inception. Yeah. But uh, as far as actual production, you know, it was, uh, I think, the September of 2015 okay. where we did our Kickstarter. Yeah. So um, it's been like a year and a half since our Kickstarter. And um, it's been about half a year since we started actually when we actually started filming stuff. Okay. Um, there was a lot, you know, there, there was a time in there for several months. I think it was from January 2016 to like June 2016 or May 2016 where the whole lawsuit was happening and we weren't sure about our future yeah. where almost no work happened. So there was almost half a year of time where we had no idea what to do or, you know, how to work. So, we're we're in the thick of things right now okay okay so how do you um obviously with the 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 time um jumping through like that how do you keep your your kind of your actors ready to come back uh because obviously you you can only film so much and then if you had to stop then obviously they move on to other projects or other you know if they have day jobs things like that how how is that working for you have you got like a, a solid team around you that kind of as and when can jump in when you're ready or is it sort of, you have to wait for them to kind of become available. Yeah, it's kind of a mix. Um, availability with actors is definitely one of the hardest hurdles with this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, because as you said, everyone's got day jobs and like, it's hard to get confirmations from people because things come up and you know, you're not paying people. They're not contracted. So there's no obligation. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's a mix. I've got people who are really dedicated, who really like the project and are willing to jump in at a moment's notice. Um, but at the same time, um, they have lives. Yes. So <laughs> even if they really would love to jump in, they've got stuff going on. So we do try our best you know, to ask everybody far in advance, are there weekends you can commit to you know, so that we know, okay, so this actor, this actor, and this actor are free on this weekend, but only this actor and this actor are free on this weekend, and we find what scenes we can shoot at which times, right? Yeah. So like, for instance, May 20-something, everybody's free for okay. the whole weekend. Nice. So there's like this massive circle around that weekend where it's like, we're going to film as much as we can possibly film, you know, yeah. in these, you know, Friday night, Saturday and Sunday so that, you know, we can <laughs> take a, a big uh, weight off our shoulders, stuff like that. Cool. Um, yeah. So what, what are you, um, what sort of date are you looking at for completion? Um, is there, is there a deadline you've set yourself or is it just kind of as and when you've kind of got everyone together? Yeah, as far as finishing, uh, like, shooting or principal photography, um, we do have a hard deadline in uh, at the end of August. So summer <clears> – <throat> so between, like, the beginning of May yeah. and the end of August, that's, that's our heavy shooting window. We've been doing shooting up till now since, you know, January when we finished our set. Yeah. But availability has been really low, um, especially because one of our actors is – on the younger end of the spectrum and he's in college still. Um, and when summer hits, he's out of school and we can shoot, 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 shoot. Um, so May to, uh, the end of August and the beginning of September, one of our actors is, is moving to Europe. So, um, that's a hard, hard deadline because, uh, 
you know, we, we can't get her back after that. No, no, it's quite far away. That's where I've, that's where I'm from. So it's kind of, <laughs> I know the jump from here to the States. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's certainly a long way to get stuff done. So, um, cool. So with, with that, obviously, uh, you're still running, are you still running your Indiegogo? Yes. The Indiegogo is on, it's basically permanently on and that's, that's to cover, uh, rent right now, which is a big deal for us because, um, I, I tell people when we first did our Kickstarter, I did not include rent in the budget because at the time we had been offered a space to shoot. It was like an abandoned commercial space okay. um, that was, you know, good enough for our, our needs. However, um, come, I don't know exactly when it happened, but uh, several months afterward, um, th- that space was sold out from under us. And I totally understand that. Um, he didn't have any obligation to, you know, give us a space for free basically, yeah. but it also left us high and dry. So there was a huge search for, you know, availability for spaces and stuff like that. And uh, we finally found one that we could pay uh, $400 a month for, um, which was a steal basically. Um, because a lot of these spaces are, you know, fully decked out like commercial areas that that have got, you know, office space and warehouse space and loading docks and bathrooms and whatever. Um, and they're really expensive or you get bare bones garages with absolutely nothing. And they're typically either not big enough or way, you know, huge and they cost a lot. So it's like, oh, it's 50 cents per square foot, but you have, you know, thousands of square feet and it costs a lot. Mm-hmm. But this one was exactly the size we needed, literally exactly the size we needed um, down to the inch. Nice. Um, okay. We can fit our set in there as designed, uh, which also means that we have if we want to get to the back of the set, we have to leave the space and walk around to the back door. There's no like <laughs> there's no space in there anymore because okay. it's all set. It's literally wall to wall set. But we have it. And but it's not it wasn't in the budget. Yeah. So uh, we've made. I think it's come out to probably like 1500 now on Indiegogo or maybe some more that's gone into rent, which has been a huge help. But, you know, as it stands, we can only we can only pay through uh, June, I think, Okay. before it goes into my pockets. So um, it would be really nice if, if people, you know, really wanted to help out and, and, and help us out with rent on Indiegogo. Yeah, I'll put, I'll put the link out there. Um, so um, just a, I've got a couple more uh, questions for you. Uh, these are kind of, um, I ask these questions to everyone that I interview on my show. So I've kind of adapted it for you <laughs> to a certain degree. So because okay. uh, no, my normal sort of interviews are musicians um and i'm kind of moving into more like uh actors comedians produce you know kind of more industry like entertainment industry rather than just the music industry so um yeah. anyway uh so yes yeah, so um right what are your let's let's do both what's your three top albums so we're, we're talking music here um so <laughs> if you can pick them out if you're a music lover i didn't ask that question but if you are uh what are your three top albums Ah, oh, gee, I don't know. No. If, if we're gonna go, if we're gonna go by like <clears throat> music that pretty much everybody would care about, right? <laughs> okay, because uh, I could, I could, I mean, it, it, you, I wouldn't be able to talk in terms of album okay. with like, you know, if I was gonna talk about like Debussy or something like that, right? And I, I can't really talk in terms of albums for any musician, really. But <clears throat> you know, um, 
Man. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm a fan of, you know, like the, the jazz greats, you know, the, the Duke Ellington types. Yeah. Um, and of course, anybody who likes jazz is going to say that because um, you kind of have to. Um, <laughs> and I like, um, I guess, some of the stuff that, Normal people are kind of ashamed to say they like like ABBA, okay, and stuff like that. Rick Astley, yeah, um, we all love Rick Astley. You're fine with yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry, I can't give you no, albums, no, but there's all right. names. <laughs> let's, let's let's move on to something maybe that you you've got something a bit more on. Uh, let's go for your three. Maybe, let's go favorite films. Favorite films. Uh, that's that's also a hard question but okay. i have a i've got i've better answers i guess okay go for it um i i like to i like i like films because of certain i like films i have favorite films for different reasons right okay so like for instance i really like um hayao miyazaki's castle in the sky oh yes uh for its own reasons. And then of course I have to say, like, I like star Wars, right. For other reasons. Um, I don't know if I could say three though. No. Okay. That's cool. Um, what is the most bizarre situation you found yourself in doing films? Uh, doing any sort of film. Yeah. Yeah. Not just this uh, specific one, but if you've had any other experiences that were, you know, slightly odd, slightly bizarre. I don't know about bizarre, um, but uh, there was this time where I was working on a movie in college, and um, it was it was for credit, um, and we had a lot of permissions to shoot in certain places, and we have a scene, we have multiple scenes that are shot in a girl's dormitory mm-hmm. at a private uh, college with you know uh, gender separated housing. Yeah. So we had, you know, special permissions to shoot with our co-ed crew in a girl's dormitory. And um, we had a lot of trouble getting audio there because uh, we couldn't sound control the environment. It was an active dormitory. So um, we had to wait until things quieted down and stuff like that. Because we weren't too interested in doing a lot of recording in the studio, dubbing, that kind of stuff. So we think it's quiet. Mm-hmm. And I'm about to call action and my sound guy is like, wait, 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 wait. I, I hear like this wailing sound. <laughs> and I'm like, what do, what do you mean? He's like, it's really, really quiet. But I hear like whales coming from far away. And like at that exact moment, um, a group of girls is coming out of a door like far down the hallway and we didn't think anything of it. And eventually the, the, the noise died down and we started filming. Anyway, later I get an email from the, the resident director for that building who said that we were calling female residents whales. Oh, (laughs) because these girls had heard my sound guy say that he heard whales. Oh no. (laughs) <laughs> um, talking about a sound yeah. that sounded like Ooh, or something I don't know. Yeah. And uh I had to I had to like defend myself to this like tribunal, right, where <laughs> I I you know my team had allegedly been disrespectful and it was um I mean it was solved pretty quickly, but yeah. um that's a story that we kick around. <laughs> 
that could have turned out a lot different as well. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, what are your um, hobbies away from filmmaking? Do you do, um, what, do you, what do you do to sort of get away from that, or you know, any other passions? Yeah, I mean, I like. Um, I mean, the thing about filmmaking, and I guess one of the reasons I like it is because it's an intersection of everything I like to do. Mm. I like to write. I like to world build. Um, I like art and design. And I like theater and music and all these things that intersect on filmmaking, right? Yeah. But, I mean, I guess if you want to talk about things that are almost completely divorced from those things, like I'm a big fan of Lego. Um, I've been building Lego as, you know, an adult for a while now, and I I do some more. It's been a while since I've really – did it seriously because I've been working on this movie and stuff like that. But there was a time that I went to conventions and I competed and stuff like that. Um, And uh, one of my um, friends back in England, actually, he's a, he's a builder for Lego. Oh, wow. That's prestigious. Yeah. He goes to various outlets and, and, you know, puts together those big kind of like decorations you see in the windows of Lego stores and things like that. And toys. So yeah, that's a, that's a prestigious job. And, you know, I've been at conventions where Lego does like some scouting almost, you know, like they look at people's constructions and say, oh, wow, this person's really good. And they talk to them. And so, like, I was at a convention once where somebody got an offer from Lego. It was crazy. Oh. Um, but, like, they come to you, you know. Yeah. Well, this guy, he ran a uh, or he owned a game shop or a hobby shop. You know, they sell like the Warhammer type stuff and the okay, yeah. and various board games, tabletop stuff like that but he always had like um a lego uh display in the window that he put together himself um and i think from that the the representative came out and was like oh you did that you know and yeah it went from there and he he quit that or sold the shop and uh you know went off and and did that so yeah i mean it must be really exciting to have a a lego representative approach you because that's that's how they do a lot of their hiring. I don't know if that's how they do all their hiring, but I do know that, you know, they kind of, they find you, you know, you just have to be really good. And then, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, um, finally, where can people reach out to you? Where's the best place to hit up the, uh, the film and things like that? Well, definitely Pacific201.com. There's links to the YouTube channel, the Indiegogo page. I mean, we have a YouTube channel that I post all the videos on and stuff and that's where the movie will be eventually and you just search pacific 201 on youtube or you can go to the pacific 201.com and click on the youtube link um that's really easy um if you want to get in touch with me more as a person i have my own site which is echenry.com cool um and there's a link to my personal youtube channel i do youtube videos every week on star wars and star trek and sci-fi in general cool um so those two places excellent well again eric thank you very much for your time uh good luck with the rest of your shoot for this uh for this film i look forward to uh watching it once it's done but um yeah if anyone wants to go and um donate to the cause to help with their rent and things like that they are on indiegogo uh link will be in the description and um every other sort of bio thing that i post up so yeah again eric thank you very much and um yeah have a great day Thank you.